The first Bible reading from, for today is from Psalm 100 and can be found on page 597 of the Blue Church Bibles or on the screen behind me. Psalm 100, a psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The second Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 1. And it can be found on page 1173 of the Blue Church Bibles and also on the screen. Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who worked out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Now, as we heard before, Tom and Emily haven't quite celebrated their first wedding anniversary yet, uh, but Sue and I, we celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary just a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and celebrations are a good, they're a good opportunity to stop, to look back and to think on what things were like. So here's a shot from the 2nd of February, 1980. And uh, the striking thing that you notice in this picture is the terrible fashion sense <laughs> that the groom and the... the I'm, I was really surprised Tom didn't approach me for advice on what to wear for his wedding. Uh, who, who would have thought that light brown suits and sort of chocolate velour ties were going to go out of fashion? Who would have ever thought that, you know? But uh, weddings, they're a time to look back and to think about what actually happened. It's a time to uh, also, soon I found, to stop and to uh, give thanks in the present. You know, over 40 years, there have been lots of different challenges 
uh, lots of different situations that we've had to grapple with. Uh, but I think the, the abiding thought that I've had over this time is how kind God has been to me in giving Sue to me as, as my life partner. How gracious he has been because she is such a wonderful woman and she has so many good qualities. Uh, there are things about Sue that I've learnt over the years. You know, I knew when I married her she liked flowers. And on our first wedding anniversary, I gave her six packets of flower seeds. Huh? <laughs> she, was, she was deeply touched. Um, uh, 40th wedding anniversary, I gave her 40 roses. I've learnt something over this period. Right? Uh, she was very aware. We stopped. We gave thanks for our current family. You can see a picture of them, one picture trying to look normal, the other picture making faces. So we have three kids uh, we have three wonderful in-laws. We have five grandchildren. I think one at the time of this photo was in utero. No, no, this oh, I can't remember now. I've lost count. Uh, but but we now have five with one on the way. So that's that's our situation right now. And uh, so there's a lot. We have an enormous amount uh, to give thanks for, for. And also, when you stop for a 40th wedding anniversary, of course, you also think about the future. And of course, with the advantage of uh, computer-generated programs, you can predict what people are going to look like 30 years from now. <laughs> this is apparently what Sue and I will look like in 30 years' time. Okay. As a church, we stop today, and it's the 10th wedding anniversary. It's good to celebrate. Uh, we can look back, think about the memories that we have. Some of those for us are long, some of them are much uh, shorter. Depends on how long, of course, you've been a part of this church. We can take stock of our family life together in the present and think about how we're going right now. We can also be asking God to provide for us as we think about the future and turn our minds to what might be and where we might be heading. But how should we as a church, what's the right way to celebrate? As Mark said, we're going to have a cake at the end of the service, uh, which will be yummy. Uh, but how to, how, more essentially, how is it as a church we should celebrate? I want to turn this morning to Ephesians chapter 1, and either it'd be great to have it open in Bibles in front of you, Ephesians chapter 1, so it's on page 1173. In this letter, and particularly this opening chapter, Paul is writing to a, a church, a church he'd visited on a number of occasions. In fact, he'd, he'd spent considerable time there on one visit, probably about three years. Uh, you can read all about his visits to this church in Ephesus in uh, the book of Acts, Acts 18 and 20. At the time when Paul writes to this church, it's about 60 AD. He's in a prison in Rome uh, for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul knows that the key to a good church celebration is not what we've done or what we've failed to do or even what we might accomplish in the future. You know, we can talk about the vision for you know, Trinity Church, Mount Barker and that sort of thing. Paul isn't preoccupied about our goals or achievements. Uh, he's not, not worried about that for the, the church in Ephesus and nor is he worried about it uh, from our point of view. What Paul says here in this chapter 
and it's the thing we need to keep remembering, is that everything about our life together starts and finishes with God. And as we celebrate, fundamentally what we're celebrating is what God has done for us, not what we've done for God. There's an old hymn that some of you who are probably older than me might recall where the chorus goes like this. Uh, It's written by Johnson Oatman. He penned it in 1897. I'm not thinking anyone here is that old, but uh, you'll know the hymn. Here's the chorus. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And I can see from the smiles on some of your faces that you do remember that hymn, especially, as I say, if you're older than me. Uh, But uh, here in Ephesians 1, Paul is helping us uh, to count our blessings and to think about what it is we have to give thanks for. And the key statement, which captures the the scope of God's blessings to us, you pick it up in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. See, friends, a 10th anniversary isn't a time for self-congratulations. It is a time fundamentally for remembering what God has so generously done for us. He's blessed us. But notice there's spiritual blessings. Um, here it's not so much talking about a spiritual experience or spiritual gifts. It's talking about the, the fact that God gives us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that we might have a relationship with him. And did you pick up the, um, the scope of the blessings? Notice where we're blessed the location of them. Verse 3, in the heavenly realms. Uh, This phrase, in the heavenly realms, it only occurs in the New Testament here in this letter in Ephesians. And then it gets named a number of times. So it's picked up on here in verse 3, then in verse 20 of the first chapter, chapter 2, verse 6, chapter 3, verse 10, chapter 6, verse 12. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, as we live in this world, we're, we're fed a philosophy and a view that the blessings of most importance are to be found in this world. Uh, so, you know, the thing that's dominated the news in the last couple of weeks has been the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah, no one has to. And why has that dominated the news so much? Because it actually is threatening two things, right, that are so important to people. Right? One is their, their health and the health of their family. And then in a secondary way, particularly here in Australia, it threatens our way of life. <laughs> the, the economy is tanking at this point. The stock market, the bottom has fallen out of it. And there are a lot of people just sweating on that. Uh, now, part of the reason for this preoccupation, we should have a concern about it, obviously, uh, but it is the nature of the way in which our world functions. We're caught up in the day-to-day, the closed-circuit world of life in this 
planet. But I want you to see that Paul the Apostle is not celebrating you know, a, a fat-free diet, a good exercise regime, a secure investment portfolio, a growing superannuation fund, a stable job, 2.2 kids and a car and a Labrador. You know, that's not his focus here. The blessings that he says shape our lives, they're heavenly. That is, they're tied to our relationship with God and they come from God himself. Uh, some of you will know the actor Michael J. Fox and you'll know that he's suffering with Parkinson's. He was interviewed about his thoughts on having this disease which, which almost certainly will end his life prematurely and this is what he said. The end of the story is you die. We all die. Right? Now I'm with him so far. I think he's absolutely right here. Not brain science, you know, not, not rocket science, but, he, but he's correct. We all die. So accepting that, the issue becomes one of quality of life. Now you understand he's saying what counts are the blessings of this world not the heavenly blessings, which Paul is on about here. But notice when you get these blessings. Um, one of the really common criticisms of Christianity and, and a lot of religions is that we're all about, you know, pie in the sky by and by when you die. It's all about the future. You know? So you sort of stoically bear with the realities of the tough life because in due course it'll all be good. Right? Notice when Paul says we get the blessings, he says he has blessed us. He already has blessed us. He's not saying God will bless us. Paul is saying if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been blessed already. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the riches of relationship with God. And did you pick up, as we think about the scope, the, the framework of blessings, did you pick up the source of the blessings? What's the phrase that dominates Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14? What's the phrase? Yeah, verse 3, in Christ. Verse 4, in him. Verse 5, through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, grace in the one he loves, that's the Lord Jesus. Verse 7, in him. Verse 9, in Christ. Verse 11, in him. Verse 12, in Christ. Verse 13, in Christ. I think Paul might have thought the Ephesians, and in brackets us, were a bit thick. Uh, tending to be forgetful or distracted. And so he just hammers it, hammers it, hammers it, hammers it, hammers it, hammers it. All the blessings that are of ultimate importance, are tied up with what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us by his death and by his resurrection. Those are the nature of the blessings. What I want to do for just a few moments, though, is just to stop and to count a few of the blessings just one by one. Count them one by one. Notice he starts verse 4 and says, We are chosen by God. Uh, in verse 5 and in verse 11, it talks about us being predestined. That is, that God is the architect of our salvation. Now, let me say 
these sort of biblical statements have created a bit of controversy over the year. Um, things, questions like, is it fair that God should choose some and not others? Surely, yeah, yeah, God chooses it, but surely we have to choose him and respond to him in some way. So part of it's sort of our job, which doesn't seem to be implied here. And if people are chosen, and how is it that some of us who've been around churches for a while are aware of people who've walked away from the Lord Jesus? They're, they're verses that have created controversy, but can I say they're not written for that purpose? You understand, Paul doesn't address those sort of questions. He states them, states what's going on here, and he calls upon us to celebrate. It's good news. They're not unreasonable questions, but the point is to celebrate that the God of the universe has brought you into his family. He has done it. You can't take any credit for it because it's not something that you have done. Did you pick up when you were chosen? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, when did that happen? When did God choose you? Verse 4. Before the creation of the world. Not just before you were born, but from eternity. This is the plan of God. Who's the architect? Who's in control? God is. Who do you praise? God. That's what you do. He goes on, verse 5. Talks about the nature of adoption into the family. He predestined us for adoption to sonship. As you read this in our culture, you think, oh, it's a bit sexist. You know, why not daughtership as well? But of course, to do that is to miss the point about the culture of the time. You see, in this first century context, inheritance came through the male line. And so what Paul is saying at this point is, you have been, if you're a child of God, you've been adopted into his family with the status of sons, whether you're male or female. You have this reality. But understand that it's adoption. It's not a natural born thing. Uh, you saw my th three children on the, the picture where you saw them in among a photo with, with other people. But three of my children were there. They're all natural born. And do you know what that means? It means I'm stuck with them. Right? Uh, that is, they are naturally born into my family. That's sort of just the way it went. That's the difference when you adopt. Because adoption is always a choice. I know a family that started fostering a child and then that child, uh, they discovered, had fairly significant brain injuries uh, for a range of different reasons. Knowing that, as foster parents, they took the step of adopting this child. Now, that child has been growing up in a loving family with great security. But I tell you, in due course, that child will not stop and think this. Wasn't I clever getting adopted into this family? See, it's, a, it's a generous choice of the parents at this point. This child, this child will say, lucky me. Lucky me. And friends, can I say it's the same with us? Lucky in the sense of the providence of God and his blessing upon us. And notice forgiveness, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches 
of God's grace. Redemption is a, a word that's quite clunky in our culture because it, it picks up on the slave market of the ancient world. Slaves could be bought and sold. Uh, that was the reality. But for a slave to be redeemed out of slavery, someone had to pay the price so to, to the master to bring them out of that situation. What we're being told here is that the Lord Jesus has paid the price so that the slaves to the world, to sin and the devil, us, could be redeemed out of that situation and brought into relationship with the living God. God has taken the step to pay the price to redeem us. And it means we can be forgiven. That is, our sins can be totally cleansed. I was 19 uh, when I became a follower of Jesus. And I'd been reading the Bible with someone for a while. Um, and as I read the Bible, I got to a point of thinking that uh, moving from a point where I thought Jesus was you know, the same as Father Christmas or the Easter Bunny uh, to thinking, no, I reckon he's a real person who lived. You know? And then I got to a point where I thought he's a real person who lived and died. And then I thought a real person who lived, died and rose again from the dead, which I thought was really clever. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I couldn't see any connection with me at all. Lots of people do exceptional things. This is pretty exceptional and unique. But I did a job in a supermarket where I was a night filler, stacking shelves at night. And I remember the occasion. I'd been reading the Bible for a while. It hadn't made any sense at all. You know. And then I got to a point where I was stacking shelves and suddenly it was like I got this sort of... Um, this DVD running through my brain of all the ways in which I trash relationships, let people down, dishonoured people, been a lousy friend, um, been totally self-serving in a whole er- lot of areas of my life. And let me say, it was, it was sort of heart, it was gutting, you know, to have that sort of experience. But that was the point at which I suddenly made sense uh, of Jesus' death and his resurrection. It suddenly clicked into place that Jesus had died for my sins, for my failure to treat God and other people properly and risen risen from the dead to prove that actually he was the one who had conquered death and sin. Friends, it means the slate can be wiped clean for anyone who will put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're just some of the blessings that are named here for us to celebrate. So how do we celebrate as a church? Well, we we look back on 10 years. Some of of us were here from the start and we can look back and see that there are people who've been converted. God's added to our number. He's kept providing a place for us to meet week by week. Uh, You'll be thankful for the relationships you have here for the love and care of other people, that you've grown in depth as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll guarantee, uh, for anyone who's been here for the full 10 years, that it hasn't all been wonderful. Not by a long chalk. Like I said, soon I've been celebrating 40 years. We, I think... God has been very generous to us 
and given us a wonderful marriage. But it hasn't all been straightforward. You know, we've had our fights and disagreements. I can think of harsh words that I've said, uh, things uh, that I wished I'd not done. I think it's the nature of any serious relationship and it's the same for us as a church. Sometimes people fall out with one another. They say things or do things they wish they hadn't done. And friends, we're aware of our sin and the way which that marks, that mars our relationship with the Lord and with one another. But let me say, in the midst of those realities, we are to keep remembering. We're to keep remembering that we're part of a plan that God is executing. So it's not all about us. In Ephesians 1, we get this, this brief overview of the plan of God captured in just a few words from eternity to eternity. Did you pick it up? Verse 4, where does it start? Well, from before the creation of the world. And where does it finish? Well, verse 10, when the times will have reached their fulfilment. It involves understanding the central place of God's people, the church, in his plans. We live in an age of declining church attendance um, here in Australia and I think increasingly Australians feel like the church is just a religious fossil. You know, we're regarded as being quite irrelevant um, to life on the whole. But can I say, say that's not the way God sees it? Chapter 1, verse 9. God has made known to us, here he's talking about his people, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, his intention, his purpose for all eternity. We've been let in on the secret. Isn't that extraordinary? And what is it? Oh, you go to the end, we didn't read this bit, but verse 22, God is placing all things under Jesus' feet and he's appointed him to be head over everything for the church. For the church. This is the purpose of God. Friends, this is the eternal truth that God has made the church central to what he is doing for all eternity. God is adding people to his family, the church, for all eternity. And here in the Mount Barker region, can I say the most important group of people in this town are his people. It's tempting, isn't it, to think that the most important people here in Mount Barker are you know, the mayor or the town council maybe or the local MP or maybe the police who keep order or maybe the people who own most of the property in Mount Barker and have done since, you know, 1837 or whatever it was, you know. That, that easy to think those are the important people in the city. Maybe even after the events of summer, we can think that the fireys are, you know, the most important people. I can see Nathan nodding at this point, you know. <laughs> you know, like, it's it's easy to allocate that sort of, you know, that sort of thinking. But can I say, in, in God's economy, the most important people in his purposes for all time are the church, God's people. 
Now, I'm not saying that's how you get a big head. I'm just saying that in God's economy and his rule for eternity, the church is his instrumentality for the gospel going to all the world, which is the most important thing. I love the way Eugene Peterson has got a sort of a, a loose translation of the New Testament called The Message. At the end of Ephesians 1, he takes the words and, and transcribes them this way. He says, The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The world is peripheral to the church. Keep remembering the big plan of God. But let me finish on this note. Um, it seems to me the key thing for us as a church, as we celebrate, is to keep growing in our appreciation of the grace and the blessings of God. That's at the heart of what it means to be his people. I remember reading a story about uh, Randolph Hearst. He was an industrialist, an American industrialist back in the uh, 19th century, a very wealthy man. And he had a quite an extraordinary art collection that he was always looking to add to. And he had someone he employed to buy art pieces to add to his art collection. One day he was reading a magazine, saw a piece of art, and he thought, I really must have this. So he got his, uh, his broker in, said, here it is. I want you to find it. I want you to buy it. The guy went away for a couple of weeks, came back, and uh, said, Mr. Hurst, unfortunately, I cannot buy this art piece for you. And Hurst said, I don't care what it costs, I want you to buy it. And the broker said, no, no, you don't understand, sir. You already own it. Right? <laughs> and uh, I reckon it's easy, as followers of the Lord Jesus, to be like that. God has put out every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm upon his children. And our job is to keep on appreciating those realities it's all ours in Christ. Friends, anniversaries like today, they're good times to remember and to keep remembering. Sue and I sat back and we talked about different events that have occurred in our life together and a lot of them related to children. You get that if you've got kids. Uh, a lot of your married life tends to revolve around thinking about them. And uh, I remember one occasion we were out with our kids and uh, I think we'd been to the cinema, we were out in the foyer and I came up behind one of my boys and I just grabbed him from behind and I whispered to you, I said, mate, I love you. And he just laughed, which is a bit deflating. (laughs) And I said, why are you laughing, mate? He said, oh, I knew you were going to say that. And uh, I said, how did you know? He said, you're always saying it, Dad. And uh, I said, well, why do you think I keep saying it to you? He said, oh, you don't want me to ever forget it. You know? And then he jumped down and ran off. And then he stopped and he came back. He said, but Dad, I want you to know, I never forget. Never forget. Friends, your heavenly Father has loved you with a love that cannot be plumbed. He has blessed you with every key thing that you need for all eternity in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just poured out, poured out, poured out 
all those blessings upon you. And can I say, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, never, ever forget. Never forget. And that's our job as a church. To never forget what the Lord has done for us. Okay? Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you so much uh, that you're a God who is rich in mercy. Uh, Father, we thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ you have poured out every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms upon your people and upon us as your children. And Father, we thank you today that we can look back on a decade, uh, look back with great thankfulness at all the things that you've accomplished in our midst. And Father, we can think about the ways in which our sin has at different points marred relationships where we've uh, broken fellowship at different points. And yet, Father, even in the midst of that, our own sense of uh, failing and fracturing, we know that that is the time when your gospel shines brightest in a way, uh, where we're so aware that we stand before you, not because we've done things, we've achieved things, or because of our performance, but because of the performance of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love that you've shown us. And we stand in him. We don't stand on our own feet. Father, we pray we'll never forget that as we go forward as a church, whether in times of um, growth, in times of um, uh, reaching many, in times of people being converted, in times of incline. Help us to remember it's all about you and your glory and honour, not about us. Father, at times where we sin, at times where it's a struggle, at times where we face opposition, like the Apostle Paul when he writes this letter, help us to remember that you are the sovereign and gracious God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Father, we pray that our, our locus, our focus as a church, will be on you and your gracious kindness to us and the Lord Jesus Christ and that we will never, ever, ever forget. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.